Hey, welcome back. I am sitting up on top of the mountain and I just finished posting today's Survival Gardener Minute a little while ago and finished sending over the final illustrations and text for my new book, Florida Survival Gardening, for you Florida gardeners. And uh, man, I also, oh, what else did I do? I just posted the pre-release text of Florida Survival Gardening for those of you who are paying channel member subscribers. So if you are a paying subscriber to this channel, go check in my posts. You will find it and you can download it. So uh, let's just see who's here. I'm going to type hi everyone. There is a little bit of a lag, you know, actually there's a crazy lag. So um, like from the point where a question gets asked to the point where I actually see it seems to be 20 to 30 seconds. So it's, it's a little bit nuts, but Hey, I see Alan, Carolyn, Savannah, Tyson, very excite. <laughs> the numerous few. Hello. So where, where is everybody from in the world today? Okay. Courtney, South Florida. Got South Florida checking in. My hometown, Bright Hope 246, hello. And I know Carolyn is in the, uh, the Gainesville area. Howdy, Karen. Hey, Hugh. Tyson from Tampa. All right. I, I took my wife on a date to Tampa, St. Pete once. We went to uh, Ybor City, and I, had, I smoked a whole bunch of cigars. And then we went over and saw the uh, Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg. It was fantastic. It was like one of our anniversary trips. We left the kids behind and went traveling. It was really cool. Central Florida, Gainesville, Florida, West Palm. And Corey from Lakeland. Austin, Virginia, deep south Texas. Myrtle Beach. Florida Panhandle, Gulf Coast. Awesome. Arkansas Woodcutter. I'm guessing he's from Arkansas. Southwest Florida, Charlotte Harbor, Michelle, Mascot, Florida. Cool. A lot of the Floridians are really showing up. Somebody said the other day, like, why does David do so many videos for Florida? Like, why do you do these Florida ones? Well, Florida's where my people are. Um, I mean, I've got people that follow me all over the world. Like, uh, this dad does. What is his name? Neil White, I think is his name. Um, this dad does, Neil. I should know this. I wrote an intro for his book, um, but he's in uh, like in Scotland somewhere. And then I've got, uh, you know, people that watch me from Finland, you know, <laughs> Australia. I'm like, this is crazy. Got some writing me from Africa, usually with things like, please, can you help me find yam to plant? You know, and I'm like, uh, no, I can't. <laughs> I'm like literally long ways away. Um, and, you know, so I see these things, but Florida is really where um, you know, that's, that's where I kind of made my mark, I guess, as a, as a teacher and writer, I ran the Florida survival gardening blog for some years before it became the survivalgardener.com. And as I branched out into national garden writing, one of the things that I, I realized was there's more demand for books about Florida, at least, at least in the case of my books, than for the books I write for a national audience. Like, Grower Die is selling quite well right now, but generally it's been outsold by totally crazy easy Florida gardening, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, you know, it, you'd think, well, the state of Florida is much 
smaller than the entire United States or the entire world. But that seems to be where most of my support is coming from. So we go with it. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, I'm a Florida native. That's my hometown. I'm, I'm still toying with the idea of escaping there, uh, back there, leaving my, my beautiful tropical, uh, island of Elba and coming back. But, uh, I don't know when, you know, everybody's turning into zombies and stuff now. So there you go. So, hey, Gloria. Hey, Scott. Hey, Mars, Melinda, Tim, Cassidy. Betty. So, uh, anyhow, Josh says, any chance of a Tennessee gardening book? Yes, actually. Um, and I am, I'm hoping to do a Texas survival gardening book as well. Tennessee survival gardening would not be hard for me. I, I spent about uh, six to eight years, six years, Tennessee. Yeah, am I late? Arch says. Uh, I was going to tell you guys, those of you who are, um, subscribers if you didn't hear me at the beginning of the stream if you are a paying channel member i have put the text of my new book a pre-release text of florida survival gardening up for my youtube channel members only so if you're not a member and you want to join it's five bucks a month and that's just um a little extra support for the channel plus you get cool emojis so you can like have a machete <laughs> and a buffemus emoji <laughs> but i also i try to post books and videos and things just for members now and again. And so this is a big one. I asked in a stream the other day, you know, should I do it? Should I do it? Should I throw it out there? And so I did. So there you go. It's kind of a little bit crazy for me to put a book out for any group of people before it's actually released. That's probably not smart, but uh, hey, it's you guys, you know, um, we're all in this together. So um, I really do appreciate the support. Thank you very much, Gloria. Uh, she sends a $25 super chat and says, looking forward to the new book. Thanks for the preview. You're very welcome. Thank you, Gloria. I, I appreciate that. Um, it's, it's very interesting to write a book. You know, when I start a book, it feels like I'm not going to ever get it done. So I try to write as fast as possible so I forget about what a pain in the neck it is, it, it is to actually write the thing. And then you get to a point where it's like, oh, wow, it's, it's actually, I've gotten all the words. It's written. And then I turn around and I start uh, thinking, oh, shoot, now i got to do all the editing and i got to go back and fix it all. And what I found is, like the first time I wrote a book, a friend of mine who was an editor and a, a writer himself said, you know, what you got to do is write it and then take a break and then go back and edit it later when, you're, when your mind is fresh. So I did that and it took me like a year to go back and edit it. I, I, I have to, st I'm the type where if I start something, I better just keep plowing because if I stop plowing, I will lose gas and I will get interested in something else. So this book, I have forced myself to stay on for the last month and a half or so until I got it written. Fortunately for a book like this, um, it's really just telling you exactly how I would survive a garden in Florida. It's not like I have to do a massive amount of research. It's I, the research is done. I've done it. You know, this is uh, this is what I've done for years. I can grow tons of food in Florida, literally. So I just wrote how to do that, but I angled it more towards a survival gardening perspective rather than a perspective of, um, you know, what would be fun to do or what you could do 
or whatever else. I'm like, this is what you probably should do, okay? You know, um, so it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I start on it and I get about halfway in and I'm like, oh man, I really got to keep pushing. So I make myself right and I make myself right. And then meanwhile, I look out at my, my own gardens and I say, these gardens aren't looking so hot because I was spending a lot of time in the garden and then I started spending a lot of time writing. But I'm like, I got to do a few more days, a few more days, a few more days, a few more days. And so I finally finished the text for it, got the text mostly edited. And then I thought, man, it would be really cool to have a landscape designer do some, do some like sample, you know, sample backyards for this book. So then I talked to um, the, the text layout guy over at uh, Castalia House, my publisher, and and Matthew tells me, he's like, well, I've got this friend, actually, who did a landscape design for our yard, and he's really, really good. Maybe he'd be interested. Do you want me to get in touch with him? I said, yeah, absolutely. So he, he sends me some of this guy's drawings, and I went, this guy's perfect. He's really good. So I actually get, like, I, I, we hired this guy to do some, like, a small suburban lot and then a larger one. Now, of course, I talked about that in the stream the other night, but for those of you who weren't there, um, we got that. You know, I got this guy to do some really cool work. Let me see if I, I think I, I have it right here. I don't know how blurry that is for you guys that uh, are are viewing my poor connection, but this is just a sample uh, landscape layout that the guy did. And this is for a small yard. This is a small yard. So the front yard is actually a landscaped food forest with nice hedges, but the hedges are all edible and useful. And then... You know, so you've got all these fruit trees in the front yard, but as you work around the side, there are clumps of bananas, and there are you know that that run off of the gray water from the roof. There are tanks of water. There's a small nursery area. There are cassava beds. There are vegetable garden beds. There's space for coconut palms. There's a small shed. It's just a really stinking cool thing, and I planned it out. But then when I give it to a landscape guy and I see how he draws it, I'm like this is so beautiful. I just want to have other people do all my stuff. <laughs> if you saw my original ugly plan that I, I put together in Photoshop, you'd realize why I'm, I'm so happy. Because it, it, was a, it was a good layout. I mean, I planned it. I, I, I ran the numbers. I did all the, all the layout and stuff. But when you get a guy who really knows what he's doing to draw it, I, I just love it when people know what they're doing, you know. And so I got these, got these plans set up for the book. And then after that, uh, I had to do a bunch of illustrations because th this book has something like 38 illustrations in it. And uh, as I started doing illustrations, a couple of my children said they wanted to do illustrations. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll see how that works out. So do your best. But actually, some of my kids did really nice work. Um, some of them look a little bit like kid drawings. But that kind of adds to it. Hey, this is a family gardening book. So um, you could see everything from my like really tight pen and inks to my, my 10-year-old's drawing of a wheel hoe which is not as precise as my drawings are, but it's a very serviceable wheel hoe, and it would actually work if you built it. So, hey, I like to see that, you know, and I, I like the fact that they, they were like, Dad, can we help you get this book done? We want to help you get this book done. So I'm like, all right, kids. I mean, they're used to helping me in the garden, so why not have farm out some of my illustrations? You know, the funny thing is, it's probably in 10, 10 years or so, my kids are going to be better artists than I am, you know, and then I could just have them do all this stuff. But, you know... Evan says, uh, Evan Sullivan Richdale says, yeah, it's not so nice when you have somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. Yes, that was, um, 
that was that was my problem with the uh, with some of the construction work around the house. Uh, Scott asked about powdery mildew. Um, I like to take a little bit of yogurt and put it in some non-chlorinated water and then spray the leaves with it. Powdery mildew, though, is usually not that big of a problem until later in the season or on non-adapted varieties. So if you have something like seminal pumpkin growing, it'll often go through the heat and do just fine without getting powdery mildew until later in the year when it starts to get beat, you know. So I like to, I, I like to plant as early as possible, and then usually by the time stuff has powdery mildew, um, it's going to die anyways. It's giving up, and or or it's just a variety that is susceptible. But that said, I have used yogurt or kefir, just a little bit diluted in water, and sprayed it onto the leaves in the evening, so it stays on all night with the dew, and it seems to outcompete the powdery mildew and knock it out. Those uh, lactobacillus are really cool. Melinda also says milk works on the powdery mildew. <clears throat> Pastor Don says, does this book cover North Central and South Florida? Yes. Um, one, of the, one of the plans is for a small South Florida urban lot for, for gardening and farming it. And then the, the, one of the other plans is for a North Florida lot. So the species vary. And I discuss each, each plant that I cover in it. I don't cover every gardening plant. What I do is I cover the better and more useful plants. And there's also a foraging guide, a wild plant foraging guide mixed into it as well, because people have asked me for that. And so I decided to do a, um, a mini foraging guide in the middle of it for those who are looking for food right away out of the wild. So the species vary as you go up to the north of the state. And then each plant I cover, like beans, you know, I'll tell you when to plant it in South Florida, when to plant it in Central slash North Florida. Michael says, what do you think is the best citrus to grow in North Florida? I am a big fan of um, the Duncan grapefruit, the white seedy grapefruit. I really like the way they taste. Very good one. I also really like um, the Miowa kumquat. And I really love calamondins for making marmalade and uh, making whiskey sours with calamondins. But you can, you can grow most of the oranges and everything. They don't have any trouble. Uh, you just have to protect them when they're young, you know keep them growing for a while and they're also very susceptible to greening which is a problem <clears throat> Hugh says whose mountaintop are you on do they know you're up there sucking all the 4g all the 4g no <laughs> no I, I I don't know whose mountaintop it is um but you know I've got my I've got my uh my little table and chair that my son made and I'm sitting in the shade today and I'm getting great reception so no worries I asked one of the farmers down there who owns it and he had no idea I actually planted a sapodilla tree, uh, some seeds up here yesterday because my daughter and I were eating sapodillas. So we dug a little hole and we planted sapodilla seeds. Maybe I'll just plant different plants every time I come up. <clears throat> Mars says, what, no Central Florida plan? What are you, an extremist? Central Florida is close enough to, to uh, North Florida that it doesn't make much difference. Once you get north of like West Palm um, and towards the center of the state, it kind of just runs together. Michael says, I put in a Simpson stopper last week. Awesome. I love those things. They're very good. Cardi says, I just end up fighting citrus leaf miners all the time, making my little citrus look horrible. Yeah, the, the miners are crazy. There's no real way to beat them that I've found, but uh, they don't usually kill them. Um, let me see here. 
see if I have any questions here to answer. Satsuma is a very good citrus. Yeah. <laughs> I got to design a, a Dave's Bedded Swamp Water sticker for buckets and barrels. That's pretty funny. That is a funny idea. I like that. Dan says, what about a northern survival book? Well, the big problem with that is that I have not lived any further north than Zone 6. And so, I, I mean, I didn't even know how to, how to clear the frost off a windshield until I was in my mid-20s and I moved to Tennessee. And I only stayed there, you know, a few years and then I went home. Six years. Too long. But uh, I am not well suited to northern gardening. I would consider doing it if I had a, another expert as a co-writer. So if there was like a northern writer and he wanted to do a, you know, so-and-so and David the Good, you know, and, and do a Vermont survival gardening book, I could give a lot of input and a lot of ideas, but the on-the-ground, hands-in-the-dirt, uh, I don't have for the north, so I'm, I'm hesitant. I like, I like to make sure that this is something I've really done and that I really know how to do before I say, hey, here's a, you know, survival gardening book for you. Josh says, do you have any suggestions from, for protecting young trees from deer? You know, deer are one of the worst. Um, there's almost no way to protect things from deer unless you have a large fence or you have dogs. If you have a dog that can chase the deer off, that's really good. Um, there, there are also, there are these sprinklers, which are kind of cool. I'm trying to remember what they're called. They, they have a motion detector on them. And so when the motion detector goes off, it will shoot jets of water. What do they call the rain crows or something like that? Uh, it's like a scarecrow, but it's a, it's a, it sends a blast of water and that usually scares deer away. So that's, that's possible. But yeah, Josh says I'm more of a 30 odd six guy, but I can't guard them 24 seven. Yeah. Um, and most of the people that I, I have talked with, even Marjorie Wildcraft, she's like, Deer, the only thing that really keeps them away is dogs. She tried, you know, using all kinds of deer repellents and other things. And she says, unless you have a tall fence or you have dogs, the deer are just always showing up. Um, so I wish I had a better answer. Like, like there's some sort of cage or something you could put around them. I mean, you could. You could build a, a four foot by four foot fence box and put it over it all the way so the deer can't get on the inside. But it's it's hard, you know. Carolyn sends a... Sends a uh, $2 super chat and says, thank you for streaming. Thank you, Carolyn. I appreciate it. That's a, that's a, that's two packs of seeds right there. <laughs> Scott says, you need chickens. Here's some chick money. <laughs> got that chick money. I got that chick money. Oh, thank you very much, Scott. That's very generous of you. <laughs> I would like to have a few scrappy little chickens. I, I, the economics of chickens never, never work out very well for me. Um, but if I had enough super chats, I'd just go ahead and do it. <laughs> Put it on the chick cam. <clears throat> Flory says, I have four rain barrels collecting run rain runoff. They have brass spigots and there was a lead warning. What are your thoughts on the danger from that? It's probably very low. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, the tiny, tiny, tiny amount of lead that will leach into your pipes from brass spigots is probably... Uh, way less of a problem than the amount of lead we breathed in when we were kids. <laughs> Survival gardening in Wisconsin, yeah. 
Have you ever composted an entire family of enemies? Would I do something like that? Dan says, it doesn't freeze where I am, but can't compare it to Florida. Northern Cali. Yeah, you know, okay, that's that's a little closer. Um, I'm thinking about getting, seeing if I can get Skill Cult, Stephen Edholm, to co-write a book with me. The dude is like an awesome well of knowledge, but he can't write as fast as I can. I mean, he writes these amazing, intricate essays and stuff like this, but when we were talking about writing, he's got to have everything absolutely perfect and like well-regimented and and insanely like it's just he's a he's an insane organizer and i'm like just do it just get the book out it was like he's like i don't consider myself an expert on this topic i'm like you've been doing it for 300 years you're like a better grafter than anybody else in the world if you did a quick start guide to grafting i said nobody's gonna say you're not an expert you know like 99.99 percent more than everybody else sure you're not the best grafter in the world we don't know even know who that is Nobody is, probably. I mean, how would you even figure that out? But you're way, you're awesome at grafting. You know, so I've been trying to push him to do it because he's such a good writer. Any book that he wrote, I would buy it because I've read his, his website. But if I could get Steven, I think Steven's out in California, Northern California somewhere. If I could get Steven to co-write one with me, I would totally do it. Um, I should just call him after this stream and see if he wants to do it. That would, that would be awesome. Um... <laughs> Karen says, did you say we we're starting a D to the G chicken fund? Well, thank you. Now I'm going to have to find a place to put a coop. Wouldn't that be funny? These chickens are funded by Super Chats. These are Super Chicks. I'll name one Karen. I'll name one Scott. And then I'll, I'll be so sad when they get decapitated by wandering foxes or eaten by boas or whatever. No, Karen! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness David is a chicken hater thumbs down <laughs> that's funny uh, okay, if I find something else here um, Derek says hello David and all hey Derek nice to see you again scenario you have nine kids and eight bananas who's the odd kid out usually if I said which one of you guys will pass up on a banana so your little buddy can have one? Um, the older kids would just say, oh, just let them have it. I mean, my kids, from the time that they're young, um, what, we, what we did was each, each child is assigned a younger buddy. And so, you know, the, the, the six-year-old has the little buddy, you know, that's maybe one-year-old, right? So the, well, their job is to take care of their little buddy and that way Rachel's hands are not always tied up taking care of the, the little ones because she's cooking and doing homeschooling and all that kind of stuff and and so you know for example my my daughter who's a young teenager she takes care of my daughter who is six and so when the six-year-old needs help she needs to go wash her hands or she needs to reach something and she can't reach it or she needs to go use the restroom at night or whatever my my older daughter will take care of her. She makes sure that she gets fed. She makes sure that she gets bathed. She makes sure that her hair is combed and all that kind of stuff. So each one of the kids is is, is assigned a younger kid. That's their their responsibility. And it's a really good system because they, they learn a lot of responsibility and how to care for kids. Um, but they also learn to be, to be selfless and to be loving. And they have to treat their younger buddies well. You know, and if their younger buddy falls over, you know, 
they're they're usually one that's like, oh no, I gotta help them, and and well, I'll go get some ice when they bang their heads, put a little ice in their head or whatever else. And it's it's been such a good system. I don't know. Where, I think my my wife read about the the idea. I think it was in a book called Large Family Logistics, which was a very good book. And and she assigned each of the older kids a younger buddy. So if it comes down to we have to share. My kids usually will just share with their younger buddy. I mean, they'll pick a fruit and and give it away. And they've they've learned that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. If you're sitting there, I mean, I don't know about most of you, but I, I would say this is probably the case for most normal people. If you're eating an apple and the guy next to you is hungry, the apple doesn't taste very good, you know? Unless the guy next to you is a dirty commie and then it tastes great. Because we don't believe in redistributionism, right? We do believe in charity. So, like, you know, if you know that the guy next to you is hungry, let's forget forget the commie, and he's not a commie, um, you, you say, you want, you, want, you want my apple, you give it to him. It's, it's better, and, and in the way the, the economy actually works, like the spiritual economy, if you are sharing and you're open-handed, you get more back. It just, like you can't, it's been said, you can't out-give God, you know? So now that's, that's, that's probably a long, way too long a philosophical answer for something so silly, but um, anyhow. <laughs> Oh, thank you very much um, for the super chats. My goodness. <clears throat> Dan sends a $10 super chat and says, name a chicken Dan. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Dan the chicken. Dan is like a good manly name. It's just a chicken. Dan. Dan. Dan the chicken. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, Dan the chicken. Terry says, "Get some chickens." Oh my God, I'm gonna have to get chickens now, you guys. All I want is all I want is trees. <laughs> now, now I'm gonna get guilt. I almost have enough to get chickens. I I, I need um, I just need to be able to get some uh, get some two by fours, a little roofing tin, put in some um, hardware cloth, make a little make a little chicken gulag. And uh, chickens themselves are not that expensive. I could buy the chickens anytime. When we when we get locked out of our lockdown, they extended our lockdown to the, like the middle of next week. And I, I have no idea if they're ever going to actually end the lockdown. It seems like they always keep extending it and extending it. It's kind of scary. But... Scott says, I'm going to write a book, Small Scale Suburban Gardening or something, still brewing on it. Good. When you write it, I will promote it. Harmonda says, were there any problems getting the buddy system established? No, it worked quite well. Um, kids have to learn how to be how to be kind and how to be selfless. They do sometimes complain. Um, but but after a few weeks of taking care of their buddies, it just becomes second nature. They're just used to it. You know, they put their buddy to bed and they go to bed. Um, they get their buddy dressed when their buddy needs to get dressed. They get them clothes, you know, they get them food. And and Rachel just say, make sure your buddy gets some food. You know, everybody take care of yourselves and your buddy. Serve yourself and serve your buddy. And that way um, dinner gets served way faster than if Rachel just sat there and served out, um, 11 plates of food. That takes more time than Rachel could serve herself and I bring them to the table and then each one of the kids serves two and brings it out, you know, with their buddy. It works out, works out quite well. Um, yeah, I'm in Central America full time. I am stuck here. 
at this point. I don't even think we can get back. Uh, Dylan says, did you intentionally have that many kids from the start, or did you just reach a certain point and say, ah, what the heck? No, kind of, um, uh, I mean, Ra Rachel and I, Rachel wanted to have a large family, and I wanted to have a large family as well. I'm the oldest of seven children myself, and I, I, um, you know, I grew up with one younger brother and five younger sisters, and we were all close and had a wonderful time growing up. Um, and so I wanted to have a big family. I wanted to at least catch my parents. Kind of wanted to beat my parents. But um, I needed the right woman, and Rachel wanted to have a large family too. And both of us believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. And so I was thinking if, if, if he says they're a blessing, why would you say, I don't want a blessing? Um, I'll, I'll take a blessing. Sure. You want to, you want to send me a blessing? I'll take a blessing. So I've just had to trust that the, the Lord would give us enough resources to take care of them. And it's really funny because, you know, when we were younger and we only had two or three kids, we were really struggling at points. I was working in radio. Um, I lost my work in the, in the big crash of 2008. I lost my main clients and I was just scratching along on next to nothing. But we always managed to just get by, just get by, just get by. And then as I've had more children, I've had more opportunities come along. And, and it really doesn't make any sense because I should not be able to afford as many children as I, I have on the limited amount um, that I've made over the years. But, you know, uh, the Lord is right. They are a blessing. And, and each one of the kids that I look at, I'm like, would I not want to have this child? You know, like my little daughter who was on the, the stream the other day, you know, she just like talks to me about nature and she follows me all through the woods and she just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and she likes to plant stuff in her gardens. And, and I was thinking, this child is number seven. She would not exist if we had decided to stop with two or three. Uh, the son who built the desk and chair that I'm sitting at right now is number three. My son who has been growing lots of watermelons and and it has it's having like a competition with son number three. Son number four and son number three are locked in a battle of watermelons to see who can grow better watermelons. And he wouldn't be around. That's child number four. That's official large family territory. Um, child number five. He is a brilliant kid. He is a naturalist. He he catches beetles and draws pictures of them. And uh, he's, he raised beetle grubs that we found in sawdust for months and months and months. He raised them until they pupated and turned into, to his huge surprise, rhinoceros beetles. They turned into rhinoceros beetles, which he was absolutely thrilled about. And he had read about rhinoceros beetles. He's a voracious reader. He's only, he's only 10. And, and the kid is just like a naturalist. And, you know, there we go. That's child number five. That child would not exist, you know. Um, child, child number six is like, he's the one that grew heat master tomatoes. He just turned eight and he grew a big bed of tomatoes and he grew the most beautiful tomatoes that I have ever seen. And he shared his tomatoes. Like every time he got a new tomato, he cut it into slices and he shared it with the entire, all the rest of the kids. He didn't just sit out there and eat his own tomatoes. He is com almost completely selfless and, and just cares for all of his younger siblings all the time. If, if everybody's getting in a fight, he just rolls off him. He doesn't get into the middle of it. He just smiles. I wouldn't have him, you know? Um, and then the next one, my little daughter, 
I don't know what I would do without her. She's like a little bird. She just jumps all over the place. She likes to get on the rope swing and go way back and forth into rope swing and she'll hang upside down and hold her hands underneath her. She's like a little gymnast and she never walks on the flats of her feet. She's always on her tiptoes, bouncing all over the place. If, you know, there's child number seven. What if I had just stopped? I would never know what a joy it was to know her. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can't even think about like not having her. It would be horrible. Um, you know, and then, and then number eight is two and he's really funny. He's the one you saw him in the video. He's got white blonde hair, hair and he, he walks around the garden. I, I ran strings all through the garden and he was walking down the strings like a little robot around all the beds. He's very precise. He's, he says the other day, he's like, I got to go in the workshop and get some screws. And he disappears into the workshop and he takes a jar of screws. He likes to pour them out on the floor and then sort them and pour them into another jar. He's hilarious. He's so funny. That's child number eight. I never, I, I might be, I, I wouldn't have had him if I had been a regular, you know, had my, my 2.1 children or whatever. And then my youngest, my, my little sweetie, I mean, she's, she's like, wakes up in the morning and squeaks and laughs and wants to be picked up. You know, she's only six months. She's the cutest little thing. She's got little strawberry red blonde hair. The first one that I had that's a, a strawberry blonde. And she's she's adorable. I was like, I could have not had her. How empty my life would be without her. So yeah, absolutely. The big family is a, a blessing from the Lord. And I, um, I didn't really set out to have nine children, but uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I highly recommend it. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brad, for the, the super chat. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's a... Man, I'm going to have to get chickens, you guys. That's so funny. Our rooster's name is Steve, Derek says. Steve the rooster. Jason says, compromise. Plant chickpeas. Get some quail. I wouldn't even know how to raise quail. Ty Can you imagine me feeding all those kids quail? I, I really need to raise a cow. <laughs> Ev says, rats got David's last chickens. Yeah, it was a big problem. Chem Lord Gaming says, I'm from the UK. What is a commie? A communist. What is those we drop out of helicopters? Bing! The answer is communists. Scott says, we had our latest blessing at 40. My son Sam is the son of our later years. He's a great source of joy. <laughs> That's cool. Karen says, I had my youngest at 44. Wow, good work. Pigeon says, hi, David. I saw Compost Everything in the movie. I'm glad you saw it. Really cool. <clears throat> Thomas says, why is my wapsy corn getting tomato hornworms and my actual tomato plants that are a foot away doing great? I live in West Palm. I have no idea. Those are some... <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, I'm going to eat it. You know, it could be that the, the soil is is better for those tomatoes. If you have really good soil, um, or if you've improved the soil well and tomatoes are really happy, uh, sometimes the pests just don't want to eat them. And, and I don't know why it would go to the corn, but there are different varieties of hornworms that aren't necessarily tomato hornworms. There's actually quite a few varieties that are in that family that are just not as common. Hor the tomato hornworms are the ones we usually know. Sharon says, my two sons are 20 years apart. Started over 11 and 31. Wow, that's awesome. Arch says, 
My adult uh, daughter has been a big help with my seven-year-old. She was 13 at the birth. <clears throat> Dan says, I'm praying for you to have 20. Well, thank you. <laughs> Mars says, my fiance is 28 and we only have one. I'm hoping we can, we can have at least four more. Marry that girl. Have four more. Uh, no, Rachel's not pregnant that I know of. <laughs> what would Justin do? Get chickens! The Harry Farber says, Had I known when I was 18 I was going to have nine kids, I would have gone to pack fish in Alaska. Love them all. <laughs> Evan says, Tried to watch Compost Everything, the movie, the other day, but I could not figure it out. See if you can write the Grow Network. If you have problems with the Grow Network, just, just write them directly. I, I have gotten some emails of people that had difficulty, but I, I don't have anything to do with the way it's set up. And I only really get to check my email and stuff once a day well. So, <laughs> Alan says, AKA a nearly extinct political ideology. Uh, the funny thing about communism is that most of the communist manifesto was absorbed into um, the governments of the West. Like we are so, the governments of the West are much closer towards the Communist Manifesto than they are towards, say, Adam Smith at this point. I've read the Communist Manifesto multiple times, and if you look at the points that he wanted to uh, to add, no, you can't really hit pure communism. But um, a lot of Marx's ideas were absorbed into the mainstream political, uh, both both political parties. Hey, Raven. <laughs> the domesticated egg says, bought my compost enemy's tank yesterday. Watch out now. Oh, send a picture when you when you wear it. I'll post it. That would be awesome. <laughs> nice to see you, Raven. Uh, let's see. No more questions here. <clears throat> okay, so anyhow, the new book is done. If you are a channel member, uh, meaning a, a, a paid member on this channel, which you can you can join if you want to support the channel, uh, you can you can get the pre-release of Florida Survival Gardening. I put a post up this afternoon, so it is there. <clears throat> <laughs> Gramsci and damaged sir hat. Thank you. <laughs> um, Amy says, I had issue last year with videos in the Grow Network and they responded to email fast and fixed it. Good, I'm glad. It's a really complicated thing to set up. That's why I joined their summit rather than creating my own. I have no interest in dealing with all the IT and the affiliate linking and, and all the stuff that they do. There's always problems with it. Um, did you guys see if, um, by the way, if my if Grow or Die was advertised alongside the video? Because there should have been a link advertising Grow or Die, and it doesn't look like I've seen any uptick in sales from it. And I thought that Monday I would have seen at least a little boost, but I didn't see anything coming through that link. So if any of you guys watched Compost Everything the movie and and saw the you know Grow or Die link, I would appreciate it if you let me know. Um. Scrubland Avenger says, did the soap nuts ever take off? Uh, yes, I have two of them that took off, so they better be a male and female. <clears throat> um, one second. 
Um, yeah, they, they took off and they look they look really good. They're about this tall right now, but most of them did not. I think I soaked them too long and they rotted. I'm in the middle of writing free plants for everything and I kill something, you know? So. Uh, let me see. Bright Hope says, any advice for getting rid of voles? They're starting to circle my newly planted persimmon tree. Voles. Yeah, use the rodinator, you know, where like pretty girls pump gas into the ground and they, 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 they pull the trigger and it blows them up. Now, I have actually not dealt with voles before. I don't really have a good answer, but, uh, you know, I have heard of people burying hardware cloth around the roots of trees and stuff. I just, I, I don't think they would be that interested in the flavor of persimmon roots, but I'm not sure. Jason says, any news about a box set, like a, like a box set of my books? Uh, yes, when I reach, I think, the fifth or sixth book in the Good Guidening series, we will do a box set. We may do new covers, revised editions, you know, and do like a full box set of them. I think that would be pretty awesome. <clears throat> you know, it's funny. Dylan says, how communist is Jeff Bezos? It's very funny. Um... My, my daughter was asking today if fascism was a right-wing ideology or a left-wing ideology. And I said, it's actually more moderate, moderate left because if you put it on a spectrum of, you know, more government services and less, less capitalism, more socialism, less capitalism, it moves towards the left side of things. But if you were to, you know, if you were to put it on a nationalist, anti-nationalist, well, it could be nationalist, you know, national fascism, which would be more right-wing. So I said it's, you know, it's, it's generally, it's a more left system because the government has more control of businesses and the businesses are supposed to work in conjunction with the government for the benefit of the state. So it's sort of like they put capitalism on a, a leash and there's more control and fascism has gotten all kinds of you know, nobody likes fascism because it's kind of terrifying. It reminds us of World War II and all that kind of stuff. Um, and and so she's like, so what would be a fascist government today? And it's like, I mean, Chinese, the Chinese government is not really, say, a communist government. It's more of a government where capitalism has been harnessed to serve the state. So you might say it's it's more of a fascist government. And she says, well... Is the United States government a fascist government? Well, not really. And, and here's why. It's because in fascism, the corporations are supposed to work for the government, right? As I understand it, like I'm not a political theorist or anything. Um, just done a little reading. In, in, a, in a fascist system, the, the production, you know, of, of the corporations is monitored by the state. The state has a lot of control over what companies do, but they kind of harness capitalism and use it. And it's often a pretty nationalist system. So in the case of the United States, no, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way. Actually, the, the corporations and corporate interests run the United States much more than the United States runs them. I mean, we have these huge multinational corporations that, that are using you know, slave labor in China but they're buying buying senators and, and congressmen inside of the United States. That's not the way fascism works. Fascism is not a great government system, but but what we have is is 
a combination of, I would call it crony capitalism, but it's, but it's even more than that. It's more like corporatism. When, when you look at how the USDA is really behind on, on, on good ideas for saving soil or organic, good organic ideas or, or you know, or, I mean, the dumb stuff that gets recommended and done, the huge amount of pollutants that get dumped into the rivers, you know, the massive amounts of fertilizer runoff and, and glyphosate and amino pyrrolids and, and just this huge amounts of pesticide use and stuff. And it's, and it's, why is it all mandated? It's all, it's all like through the university system and the extension services and stuff. All this stuff is recommended to farmers. This, all this toxic, terrifying, horrible stuff. And why is it all recommended? Because these huge corporations also fund and work directly with the extension offices. And from what I've read, often, you know, these big companies are doing most of the research that just gets basically rubber stamped by the USDA and turned around and they say, hey, just go ahead and do this. So instead of, you know, mitigating runoff and trying to find ways to use less fertilizer or, or to, you know, go back and, and, and use some things that people did 100 years ago to keep soil from washing away, use something like farmers of 40 centuries, um, use something like, you know, Mark, Mark Shepard. Um, instead, they're, they're constantly pushing new chemical solutions, new genetically modified solutions, more fertilizers, this fertilizer, that fertilizer, this fertilizer. And they kowtow to the, you know, keeping it green or whatever else. But they really, it's about, it's about massive profits. And so what happens is, is they, is they privatize the profits and they socialize the losses. So when they get bailed out, you know, the, you know, the taxpayers pay for their losses. Um, but they get, you know, they get to make like massive profits off of just dumb stuff. So it's not really, it's not really as a, a system that even fits into the left right paradigm anymore. I don't even know what you'd call it. It's just a mess, you know? So. <clears throat> Let's see what we got here. Yeah, Amy K says it's corporate socialism. It's it, it, to an extent. To an extent, it is. But but even like the yeah, there are socialist elements that are in the United States. But the, I mean, the, the United States would have been better off instead of giving the banks billions of dollars to just pay everybody's mortgage off. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a good idea. But I would rather have seen that that pinko. You know, let's give all the workers, uh, uh, you know, a hundred thousand bucks rather than giving it to the banks who are making bazillions of dollars as vampires, sucking the system dry. I, I, I mean, they, they're, they're, they're criminals. I'd rather, I'd rather see my neighbor get bailed out, even though I think, yeah, that's, that's a horrible precedent. We shouldn't use taxpayer dollars to bail out people that are irresponsible and all that sort of stuff. But if you're going to choose between bailing out a big company that's just been given their, you know, their CEO's $40 million balances while they foreclose on everybody, uh, and then suddenly they're out of cash, crash, let it all crash, you know. It's not even good socialism, it's crummy socialism. <laughs> Corporate socialism. <clears throat> yeah, just let me garden and leave me in peace, that's how I feel too. <laughs> Michael says everything I've done up to this point I learned it from, from you and, and the North Florida tour I probably watched it 30 times thank you I appreciate it I get tired of the politics and stuff most of the time I don't talk about it because I I, I find it to be 
such an intricate, screwed up mess that I uh, say, well, I don't think, I don't think we can do anything about this. Really, it's it's just too big. So we take care of our own land and do our, do the best we can with what we have, you know. And we can always just print more money. Yeah. Jose says, where are you living? I'm living in an undisclosed location in Central America. <clears throat> Alan says almost all wheat is now sprayed to kill it for harvest. Yeah, isn't that insane? Let's spray it with uh, let's spray it with herbicides. These are these are this is great. Even like the a lot of the no-till farming stuff, a lot of the no-till systems, they they kill everything with herbicides and then they just they leave the chaff and the debris in the field, but they still are spraying tons of herbicides. Awful. So F says, David, you sound like G.K. Chesterton. I'm actually in the middle of reading the complete works of G.K. Chesterton. I'm uh over halfway through orthodoxy right now. I just finished reading Heretics. Um, but then I, I skipped over and I read David David Montgomery's book um, on restoration agriculture. And then uh, uh, I'm also in the middle of reading uh, Bullfinch's mythology and the, the age of chivalry. So I'm, I'm kind of skipping in between books at the moment. And I'm reading a book on uh, hydroponic gardening at the same time, just so I can, I just keep switching, you know. I absorb a lot of information quickly, but I, I like to switch between books as I read. <clears throat> Jose says, are you running from something? LOL. Yeah, I'm running from the collapse of the United States empire. <laughs> it's it's going to collapse, and I didn't want to be there when it happened. So actually, you know, I found something really, um, really interesting the I found out that the tree in the back corner of my yard, a local scientist friend that I, I made I made friends with, uh, identified a tree in my backyard, the great big shade tree it's over in my back garden as a really strong antiviral tree. I cannot remember the name of it. It's got a it's got a complicated name. I'll have to post a picture of it later on my Instagram when I have the, the Latin name in front of me. But uh, it turns out that this tree has edible fruits. They're small fruits. I wondered if they were edible. I tasted them, even though I wasn't supposed to. You know, you're not supposed to do that. But I tasted it, and they tasted good. And I figured I better check and see if I can eat these. So I wrote this friend, and he was able to identify it from um, the details that I gave on it. And the tree is really strongly. Uh, it's anti-malaria. It's antiviral. It can cure 90% of amoebic dysentery cases with the decoction of the bark. So I'm like, oh, this tree's awesome. So if I get the Corona, I'm totally gonna make tea out of that thing. <clears throat> I think it's gonna be awesome. Sir Hat says, if you've been following an insane self-inflicted agricultural suicide going on in the States right now, three months ago, I filled up both of my freezers from Costco meat department. Now they're limiting beef. Yeah, I've, I've heard about it. I've heard about it. Um. I actually warned my family a couple of months ago, and then another friend who works for the uh, the CDC was like, "Don't worry, America has plenty of food," and and is like contradicting me. I'm like, "Whatever, just wait and see." But I recommend you load up. <sighs> CDC, big help. Um, I I recommend storing the extra rice and beans at least. Yes, Mark Shepard, Restoration Agriculture. That's right. 
Yeah, Dylan, Dylan says, I don't think the country will collapse, but I do think the divide between the left states and the right-wing states will end up deriving a country split. I think it's going to split. I mean, there's too, many, there's, there's too many different ideologies and basically nationalities operating inside of one nation. It's just going to fall apart at some point. Uh, historically speaking, it just these things don't last. And um, nobody seems to have a good idea in which direction they want the nation to go. Everybody's going to fight like crazy. So it's going to fall apart at some point. Dylan says, my, my best friend works for Tyson. He said, the whole food shortage thing is way overblown. Yeah, I don't think there's actually a shortage on food. I think that the supply lines are a big problem. I think the supply lines are a mess. And there will be a shortage on food eventually because what happened was a lot of the meatpacking industry and everything, thanks USDA uh, and FDA and everybody else, um, has been consolidated into you know massive plants rather than having all kinds of local butchers. I looked into raising chickens uh, meat birds because I raised a small amount of meat birds in the backyard and and did well with it and I looked into raising meat birds to sell so we would have really good you know grass-fed free-range birds to sell because uh, we could get like you know five or six bucks a pound or eight, even eight a pound or something for home-raised chickens they taste amazing and so I looked into it and I found out in order to do it I have to have like a USDA approved facility it's like a ten thousand dollars worth and, and an inspection and and tiles and I have to build a concrete butchering it's like you have to be kidding me so I can't just raise birds and sell them to my neighbors or I could be in really really big trouble it's another reason I left I'm just tired I'm just tired of having to justify every little thing you do in your in your yard you want to build something green like I don't want to put AC in my house you're you're not allowed uh, you have to have R4 you know what is it R, R an R factor of whatever for insulation. You have to have a septic system. You can't you can't have composting toilets and ceiling fans. You know it's crazy. I just don't want to deal with it anymore. There is cheap land all over Central America. It's just difficult to um, it's difficult to fit in and make things work. And, and the paperwork is is kind of a pain. And uh, you always run the risk of you know being robbed and cut into pieces. <clears throat> Michael says I got eight acres in Sewanee Valley and one on a lake near Gainesville you know what I've thought about um, right, just send me an email Kimron david at floridafoodforests.com Um, <clears throat> let me see I'm going to go here Carolyn says they have a good small operation license now for meat birds and eggs it's like 100 bucks now well that's better Less, when I looked into it it was over 10 years ago so maybe 10 years ago you know I have thought about I thought about trying to buy a, a farm back in Florida at some point. If I were to do it again, I would like at least five acres and 10 if possible. If I could find a piece of rural land, um, hopefully that's not too sandy, sandy scrub, like I don't want pine land necessarily, but land's got a little bit of oaks on it, I would be very tempted to buy it and, and at least start working on it so I have a back and forth 
possibility and maybe move back to Florida in the future. I just don't know where everything's going to go. This this whole virus thing has been insane. I've never seen such craziness in my life. I mean, I thought 2008 was pretty bad. This is this is nuts. Really, really weird. And I, I don't know how things are going to go, if they're going to be trying to, you know, give us like immunity certificates or whatever. <clears throat> Dylan says, where's the new land of the free going to be? There's no telling. People, people, usually people have to go through really tough times in order to realize why people used to do things the way they did in the past. Because man does not seem to be a learning animal. And there seem to be, things seem to work in, in really kind of big, broad, dumb cycles. And I think as, uh, you know, Strauss and Howe said in the fourth turning, this is a winter turning. This is a big... This is a big turning where things get really tough for a lot of people. And they've said, you know, tough times make tough men. Tough men make soft times. Soft times make soft men. Soft men make tough times. So there's like a, there's a cycle. You know, we get we get weak. We don't know how to how to do things anymore. We all move to the city. Everybody's going to go to the city and be a graphic designer or a Instagram fashion photographer or something like that and not produce food. And you leave the food in the hands of just a few people and they're getting older. And, and a huge amount of the, you know, of, of the population goes urban. And then you get a pandemic and suddenly everything gets flipped on its head. This doesn't look to be as, as, as horribly serious as some people thought it was going to be, but uh, this is still a big mess. You know, um, it's not Ebola, but it's pretty bad. You know, um, well, the, the, the effects of it are insane. It's all upside down. <clears throat> all right, I'll drop you an email, Kim Ryan. Um, Michael says the eight acre is full of oaks, pines, and palms, and now 15 plus fruit trees, all done by hand. Good work. Good work. Cool. I am. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna pop an email in here so I don't forget. I gotta make myself a note. All right. All right. <clears throat> Raven says I should have had more kids. You have pretty kids. <laughs> Raven, you look like you're 30. Are you sure? <laughs> sure you can't have more kids? Um. Mikhail is two miles from the Suwanee River. That sounds wonderful. It's a beautiful place up there. Christian says, I'm a computer person. My garden looks great. Good. <clears throat> Amy says, the one annoying thing in my town is they won't even let you have a few hens. Otherwise, they stay away from the HOA stupid stuff elsewhere. That is kind of frustrating. I always, I always find it kind of ridiculous that people are allowed to have dogs, but they're not allowed to have chickens. I mean, hens? Come on. Dogs are more annoying and more dangerous than, than hens are. You know, we don't say, don't do it. You know, so. Jason says, I think that the economic crunch, farms going under, is going to result in a very rude awakening in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I, I think it's a really good time to... Uh, plant lots of crops, and I think it's a good time to move to the country if you haven't done that already. It's a good idea. But it's usually a good idea, so. 
So, anyhow, guys, I think I should call it a call it a night and go on home. I'm down to 11% on my laptop, and it's it's burning up. So, uh, if you are a subscriber to this channel, uh, uh, and you are a like a paying channel member to for my members, remember that you can go download a pre-release copy of my new book, Florida Survival Gardening, that is only going out to to paying channel member subscribers. So you can subscribe um, by the, the chat box, I think, if you want to get a copy of it. It's $5, $5 a month. And it's just a, it's an advanced copy. It doesn't have all the illustrations in it or anything. Um, but the, the final version is with the publisher now getting turned into a beautiful, beautiful book, a huge book. It's going to be really nice. So um, I hope that uh, all you guys are doing well. And I appreciate you showing up and, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, I was like, well, I got to go up on the mountaintop and do some stuff. So I think I just uh, do a live stream afterwards. I, I got my other work done. So let me let me thank our super chats here. Thank you to Gloria, Carolyn, Scott Head, Karen, Dan, Terry, Brad D. And oh, I got one more that. I'm missing here. It's really funny. It does, for some reason the box that YouTube created does not let me see the last super chat ever, and I have no idea why it doesn't let me see it. That whatever is the last super chat. Oh, Sir Hat. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. So, um. Dan says, can I pre-order the print book? No, not at this point. It's uh, it's in the publisher's hands, and I don't have any control over that. But it's supposed to be a couple of weeks before it comes out. It'll probably come out in, in ebook version first, followed by print version. Usually print versions within a week or two afterwards. Um, hey, Shash Kikila, I'm just taking off. <laughs> so you guys have a great rest of the day. God bless you all. Thanks for the super chat. Thank you very much to my members. And um, thanks for all the super chats. And thanks for the company. I'm kind of lonely in lockdown. So it's really nice to be able to talk to all you guys again and see everybody. BG says, I just joined. Awesome. So if you see, uh, you should be able to check in my posts and get the download of the new book, Florida Survival Gardening. So thank you all. Have a very great rest of the day. I'm going to answer one more question here. Amy K. I can't miss you, Amy. I have to answer Amy. What are some good nitrogen fixers for sandy, dry areas? Got Gumi and Silverberry. Uh, it's probably Silverthorn, you mean. Um, the, yes, uh, Lucana leucocephala is really good. Um, Enterolobium cyclocarpum, Enterolobium corticiclium. Um, the mimosa tree, which is Albizia julibrissens, very good, easy. Um, you can also plant black locust. They will do well, but they're kind of thorny. Jerusalem thorn does well, but it is just so brutal on the thorns. I don't like to plant it. I, I planted it as a chop and drop once, and it tore my feet up. I didn't want to do that anymore. So there's a few ideas for you. Um, Sirhat sends another super chat and says, Thanks for recommending Baker Creek seeds. Everything germinated quickly. In fact, too much. I'm having to eat carrot greens to thin them. Yeah, I had the same problem this year. I planted uh, 
I planted their uh, tiger leaf amaranth. And holy moly, I like had it was like a 3,000% germination rate. I had to go pick them out with a spoon because they just like every single one of them went crazy and up in this flat way too much. So thanks for my new hobby, peeing in a jug. You're, you're very welcome, MD63. That's funny. So, all right. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you all for everything. And um, thank you for the chicken fund money. I guess I'm going to have to get some chicken soon. Uh, God bless you all. And until next time, may your thumbs always be green.